Tom. We're going to move along to some questions that we have previously not been able to read. Um, the next question comes from your MPT forum, and it's about free will. Certain circumstances, a story this person read, led to him assu- assuming that there is no free will. I'll read the question to you. Uh, Dr. Mary Neal had a near-death experience following a drowning in a kayak accident in 1999. During her encounter with what she believes is Christ and other entities, um, she was told that her oldest son will die. And sure enough, 10 years later, she received a phone call announcing that her son had died in a car accident right on the day she just finished writing the book about her near-death experience. Now, there were millions and millions of so-called free will choices that her son had made during those 10 years leading him to his death. Either the LCS had forecasted each of them correctly, or it wrote the script of his death, which is determinism, long in advance and enforced it on him because the script is part of this game. And strangely enough, Dr. Mary Neal believes that God has a plan for each of us as he had a plan for his son. And plan, I guess, is just another word for script. The forecast happened to Mary Neal 10 years earlier, despite the fact that during this period, millions and millions of free choices will be made, and nearly each one of them could have negated this outcome. If those millions of choices are really free will choices, plus the millions of choices of all the people connected to them, how could a single outcome be officially forecasted with certainty to Dr. Neal. The sum of all the uncertainties was huge, yet during those 10 years, none of those so-called free will choices had been able to change anything. What does this tell us about the importance of our decision? Something is seriously wrong. If we can be predicted so easily with free will, like the trajectory of a planet who has none, maybe we like a mouse in a maze celebrating its free will because it can choose to go right or left and thinks its choice will change everything. What are your comments on that, Tom? Sure. I would uh, I would uh, add some stories of my own to that. Um, it was pointed out to me that the woman that I was going to uh, um, marry and spend my life with was... Uh, only two years old when I was 14 and that I would meet her when I was 35 and also was told that I would have uh, three children with her. The two would be girls. One would be a boy. The boy wouldn't be in between. And I even had some pictures of what the girls looked like. Okay. Now I didn't get all of that at 14. I got just the first part and the rest of it kind of filled in, but still all many years in advance, decades in advance. And all of that turned out to be exactly True. Okay, I've had some other ideas as well that uh, also turned, you know, that I was told and things that turned out to be true. So how does that sort of thing happen if there's free will? Well, those things that I just mentioned are even more startling in the sense because that somebody is will that somebody will die is a hundred percent. Hundred percent that you know you're going to die, right? That's it's just a matter of when is the is the thing. And if this person wasn't told he was going to die on a certain minute of a certain day, 
or that it had to be 10 years later and not nine years or eight years or something, then it would be even more, uh, more amazing if they, if they had done that. But just as your son's going to die, well, yes, your son is going to die. That is true. And indeed, her son did die, but, you know, the statement is a, is a statement that's always going to be true. The idea that he died before she did, I guess, was the, was the idea. It was 10 years later. It's not that there's determinism, but there, there are things that are more or less likely. There are things that the system can nudge or not nudge. And from our viewpoint, dying is always seen as a terrible thing, an awful thing to be avoided at all costs. That's our viewpoint because we want to avoid it at all costs. Dying is like, you know, the worst thing can happen to anybody is that they can die, right? So you know, being, being poor, losing all your money and not having any friends, being sick, all those things are bad, but death is like the worst possible thing. In a bigger picture, that's not the case. In a bigger picture, death is just where you start another chapter in a long book. Okay. Who knows why that was predictable? It could have been because this person uh, that was her son had plans to incarnate with somebody else at another time, but didn't want to sit around and wait for a long time for that to happen because that person wasn't ready yet. They were maybe already in some sort of uh, 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 incarnation. So they decided they would do something, and in about 10 years or so, you know, or whenever, whenever, however old the boy was, you know, and then they would go to be with that person. So maybe that was predictable for that reason. Who knows? See, I just made up one thing. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened. I just made up a, a, a story that would make that rational. It was a choice that they didn't want to stay here any longer than that because they had other things they wanted to do at that time. Okay, so when you see death not as the most horrible thing that can happen to anybody, but as just part of the process of evolution, you evolve, you have certain situations that you like, um, certain uh, kinds of incarnations that you need to work on the things you need to work on, People have their own reasons for doing things. Well, that may have been a reason. Who knows? You see. Uh, but I probably, with a little time, could come up with four or five more such scenarios where that would be something that was like that because it was planned or it was necessary or whatever else. Hard to say. Now, the system can also nudge things. I don't know that it would nudge somebody to die when that wasn't part of their plan. That seems kind of uh, um, unlikely. But a lot of mine were nudged. You see, at the time, you know, many years before I uh, I ran into my my uh, my wife, um, we lived in different states. Even even when I was fourteen, I was fourteen in Maryland, and she was somewhere in Virginia. You see, we. The probability of us even ever knowing each other or meeting each other was was very uh, very low probability. Then I headed off to graduate school and was further away from Virginia. But after getting a master's degree and uh, I wanted to go on for the PhD, but I didn't particularly want to stay in that same school. It was a really big school, and uh, classes that should have been like 
10 or 15 people. Like when you get in advanced courses, you don't have like classes of 50 people. You know, that, that's not the way graduate school is. It's a lot smaller because there's not so many people taking that. But this school was really, really big. And there were classes of like 50 people. And I didn't like that so much. It wasn't my cup of tea. So I decided to, I'd go someplace else. And as I was looking around to where I'd go for the PhD, I just had this idea that I would like to live in Virginia and that I would go to a school there and so on. And it all just worked out that way. Well, that was some nudging from the system. So I did end up in the right place at the right time. And I met her. Uh, we were employed at the same place. And when I got that first job, that job just fell out of the sky at that particular point, we were in recession. Um, employment, unemployment was way up, and nobody was hiring PhD physicists for any reason at all. So it was just very hard to get a job. And suddenly, somebody I knew who knew somebody else found this possibility, and before it ever got advertised or ever got competed, I slipped right into that job. But I had to slip in at the same pay as a secretary might get. Very low pay. You see, not pay that a PhD physicist would get at all. Though that was my, not my degree, but that was my education at the time. That was my background. So I took a job for, you know, a quarter of the salary I would get just because it was a job. And my ego wasn't so big that, you know, I couldn't do that. So I took this job, and uh, within a couple of years, probably two years, I was making what I should have made. You know, all that fixed itself. But that job came open, and I got it just, and, you know, one in a thousand, and there she was. You see, that's where we met. So a whole lot of things just kind of happened that were very unlikely for us to end up together. But that was the girl that I saw, and we did have those children, and it was the right sex, and they even looked like they're supposed to look like. So that just got nudged. So it doesn't have to be deterministic in order to work out with a long timeline. It can be uh, manipulated, if you like, as long as the manipulation doesn't show. So that's how I justify my own experience. Now, somebody dying, I can't see the system manipulating somebody to, you know, uh, uh, get run over or to have a heart attack or something. But I can see that there may be reasons that a person would want to exit, and they may come in with a plan to exit for any number of reasons. That could be a thing. And if you had that plan, then that would be something that would be predictable. So everything, you know, doesn't have to be, um, just because there's some physical causality. Lots of things happen that don't really have a chain in physical causality. There's other reasons. We're consciousness. We have other things, we have other things going on other than just this physical reality. We actually are not physical beings. We're just, we're, we're just plain avatars that are physical beings. We have other issues. We have other plans and things we do that are outside of the physical reality. So the fact that things like that happen occasionally, and it doesn't happen often, it probably happens just about the same percentage of the time as if people make plans to exit early happen. You know, that doesn't happen a lot either. 
So things like that that seem miraculous, how could that happen? Well, there's other variables besides just the physical causality that are at play here. That's why things like that can happen. And like I say, they don't happen often. They're pretty rare. Well, people deciding that they got to exit for some reason at a, at a certain time, that's probably pretty rare too. And I suspect those two rarities just match up pretty well. That uh, that's the way that works. So that's how I would say that. But we do have we do have free will, and uh, people don't understand what free will means, and they make a lot of mistakes about free will. So while I'm on the free will subject, let me just say that free will isn't that you get to do whatever you want. I had somebody just the other day uh, write something uh, on a YouTube thing that was just, you know, in a, in a rant about the impossibility of free will because they wanted, oh, I think it also was a near-death experience. And I thought maybe that's where you were going when you first started. And that was these people had near-death experiences. They went out, you know, they met Jesus or somebody else they hold in high esteem, and they didn't want to come back because it felt so good. And they said, I don't want to come back, but they had to come back. They were made to come back, therefore there is no free will because they had to do something they didn't want to do. Well, free will doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want to do. There are lots of constraints on what you can do. Okay? If you're a bad person and you go to jail, well, you don't get to go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. You're stuck in the jail. You can't do what you want to do. It doesn't mean you don't have free will. There's a lot of choices you have even as a prisoner. And you have free will to make those choices. But you don't have a choice as to, you know, uh, where you're going to live. <laughs> you're going to live there in the prison. That's not a choice you have. Doesn't mean you don't have free will. So this idea that free will means you get to do whatever you want. Well, if that was the case and we had free will, everybody would be rich. Everybody would be, you know, uh, beautiful, you know, um, would be attractive. And everyone would be famous because everybody would like to be rich, beautiful, and famous. But very few of us actually meet those criteria. So, therefore, we must not have free will. You see, well, that's nonsense. Free will says you get to choose from among those choices that you know you have, period. It's uh, That's all free will is. And that you can make it, and that sometimes, occasionally, in the rare situations, Something far ahead will be predicted. Well, that can happen sometimes. Sometimes there are plans that are only executed in the future for various reasons. Who knows? You know, maybe that wasn't a plan. Maybe that's something you just came up with. Maybe that person uh, uh, decided that uh, they would do better in a different incarnation. Who knows? I don't know the ways, all the various ways that that could have happened. But I know there are multiple reasons that they could happen, and they're rare reasons, but it's a rare event. Thank you, Tom. The next question also comes from the forum from Robert A.C., and this is just a short question on a recurring dream. More and more often, I dream being alone in a void, perfectly dark, and I'm silently crying with such an intensity that I wake up immediately. Each time I don't remember anything else in this kind of dream, and it's never a nightmare, and the dark void is not frightening at all. What do you think could be going on behind the scene here? Well, there are a lot of different reasons for crying. 
People cry uh, because they're happy. People cry because they're sad. People cry because they're frustrated. People cry because they suddenly realize something. You know, they get an epiphany of some sort. There's lots of reasons why people cry. Uh, it doesn't mean that something horrible came on, came about. It doesn't mean that something uh, negative has happened or something awful. It could just be tears of happiness. It could be, you know, it's just a personal reaction to things. Everybody doesn't cry at the same things. It's very personal. What what makes you cry and the way you interpret things? You may find something so lovely, so breathtaking, so expansive that your reaction to it is just to cry because it's just overwhelming. And some people cry just because they're overwhelmed. So I, my guess is that that would be what you were experiencing. There's something there that is just overwhelming. And it may be overwhelmingly beautiful rather than overwhelmingly awful, but the, the depth of it and the breadth of it was probably so immense that it just was your reaction to something overwhelming that was so immense was to cry. And that's basically all you remember of it. You got there, you were in the void, something happened, and tears was your was your answer. So I'd say keep repeating the experience, and you will probably find eventually that'll change. And that won't be your experience. You'll You'll go beyond that. But it may take many, many times before you change that attitude. You know, so, so crying is not a negative thing. It could be a, a wonderful thing or an overwhelming thing. So I wouldn't worry about it. It sounds like a perfectly nice dream. And the fact that you were crying doesn't mean that anything was wrong or anything was bad or that there was any problem with it at all. Just your response to whatever it is that you experienced. All right. Thank you, Tom. Uh, another question from the MT forum from Breplong. Tom often explains that sugar is an extreme influence when it comes to the clarity of our consciousness. I still have problems understanding why. I was wondering if Tom could explain the effects of sugar on our consciousness within the metaphor of the elf in World of Warcraft, which you often use. Um, to me, it seems that the game would give the elf constraints for eating sugar. The player behind the screen should remain unaffected. You should be able to access other games or do anything besides playing the elf without an issue. Do we access the larger reality only through our avatar? In this case, the World of Warcraft metaphor would not work, but maybe Tom could find another way to explain how this works. Okay, I will explain that. And the World of Warcraft metaphor does work, uh, and it does explain it in this sense, but you'll have to... Realize there's a big difference between World of Warcraft and our virtual reality, and that big difference is ours has evolved, and the World of Warcraft was programmed. Okay, so that's the difference. So we have a very detailed rule set. World of Warcraft has a very general rule set. Their rule set basically says that, uh, you know, dark follows, you know, day follows night. Things, you know, objects uh, drop, fall down, and it has a Rules like this that make it mimic our virtual reality, our physical universe virtual reality. So it has just a few of the rules, just enough to make it mimic ours. We have an extremely detailed rule set because 
everything here in this physical reality, virtual reality, had to evolve from scratch, from those single-celled things to the multi-celled things to the things with organs to on up, you know, through jellyfish to, you know, aquatic life to primates to, um, you know, all sorts of other uh, invertebrates. So it, it evolved all the way to the point where here we are, and we have a biology, and that biology is hugely complex, and that rule set represents that biology. All of that evolution took place according to the rule set. So it's the rule set that is represented by this very complex avatar. Now, what that avatar represents is the rule set. So if that avatar, you know, what, breaks his foot, then the consciousness has to play a character with a broken foot. So the consciousness is limited in what it can do with its avatar based on the rule set and what that avatar does. That avatar, you know, gets in a car accident and has brain damage. It's a real bad concussion. And that avatar now maybe has no memory, lost all its memory, and it uh, perhaps uh, can't use its left arm. Well, then the consciousness has to play an avatar that can't remember anything and doesn't have the use of its left arm. So the rule set limits what the avatar can do, and the consciousness can only make those choices that are something that its avatar can do. You see, so the the consciousness can't say, I'm the conscious, I'm in charge, avatar, jump 100 feet in the air. Well, the avatar is just not going to do that because the rule set doesn't support it. So you see, it's the rule set that constrains what the consciousness can do with that avatar. And that avatar has a history of brain damage or, you know, having been born with one leg or whatever else happens to it, then the conscious has to play that avatar with those constraints. So that's the, that's kind of the, the, uh, the basis of, you know, explaining the question. Um, let's see, Donna, tell me more. I've, I've forgotten all of the questions that were asked. Give me a, give me a replay on that. Okay. Um, do we access the larger reality only through our avatar? I think you answered that one. In this case, the World of Warcraft metaphor would not work. Um, to me, it seems that the game would give the elf constraints for eating sugar. Okay. Um, well, it does, you see. So we have biology. The avatar eats sugar. Because of biology, sugar is an important part of that avatar. It's been, it's evolved to the point that it's, it's um, the coin of the realm inside that body, inside that avatar body, as far as the biology goes, according to the rule set. Glucose is a very important part of it. Glucose levels are a very important part of the way the central nervous system works. Okay, it's a fuel for the for the brain. The av- the consciousness is constrained by the rule set that describes the avatar. So when that avatar eats sugar, the glucose levels change. They change dramatically. They spike. 
Okay, then over time, depending on the rule set and the biology and that particular avatar, that spike will lessen. Usually that spike then overshoots the balance point and goes negative. Not enough glucose. In which case, you know, it, it sends a signal to that person that there's a problem. Now our body has these checks and balances in it. We have a, a pancreas that secretes insulin that tries to regulate this, you know, how much glucose is in the brain and whether how that brain works limits how, what the consciousness can do with that avatar for the same reason as the, you know, the avatar born with one leg. It's the same sort of thing. So as the rule set describes the unstable brain chemistry, because the glucose, a very important part of the brain is unstable. It's zinging up. Then it zings down. The pancreas is trying to is trying to balance it, but it can't balance it because every couple of hours it gets another hit of sugar and it zings up and it zings down. And most people in our culture eat sugar all day long. And when you eat sugar, you have that effect for about four hours after. Well, four hours is about the, our time between meals. So just about the time the system has everything settled out and all that ringing is over, we're pumping it back up again. Meanwhile, between meals, we had a candy bar and a donut and this and that. And, you know, the secretary's got a bowl of, you know, a little hard candy sitting on her desk. And we drink coffee with sugar in it. We drink sodas. So all day long, we're, we have this unstable glucose levels in our central nervous system, which depends on glucose. So you're saying... You know, or I should say, I'm saying that the biology representing the rule set becomes dysfunctional because the glucose levels in the avatar are unstable. They're always going up and down, up and down, up and down. What it would like is a level playing field that's not constantly going up and down. You know, so what all that instability in the glucose levels does is just make the thinking process a little fuzzy. It makes it a little less defined and less clear because the underlying system isn't stable. You see? So that's why sugar affects. It's not the sugar so much as it is the instability of the sugar level. And the sugar level, when you eat sugar, like I say, it takes about four hours to work that out of your system. And I'd say you wouldn't find one person in a 100,000 in our culture that doesn't eat sugar, <laughs> you know, uh, probably uh, at least once every two or three hours. That's not very many. Usually there's things to drink and things to eat and and whatever, and they all put sugar into your system. We have sugar as an ingredient in almost everything we put in our mouths. And sugar digests almost instantaneously. If you eat a, take a bite of an apple, well, yeah, that has sugar in it, but it takes time for the body to digest the apple and break that glucose out of the matrix of the fruit. But when you eat something that has sugar as an ingredient, that sugar is in your bloodstream almost instantly. It's not instant, but it's very, very quick because glucose as an ingredient, it's already pre-digested. It's ready for the bloodstream, you know, when you swallow it. It doesn't take any processing. 
So it it gets absorbed instantly. Well, whenever you absorb something fast, that means the glucose level in your brain is changing fast. You know, it's quick. Changes quickly. So whenever you have quick changes, you have an unstable environment for which that brain has to work. Okay. Now, and the reason the brain is significant is because the brain represents the rule set of our biology. And the consciousness can only work with what the rule set says you can do with that avatar. And if the rule set says that that avatar's um, thinking apparatus, central nervous system, is unstable, you're going to get a fuzzy, cloudy mind that just isn't very sharp and not very clear. Okay. Um, he hints at um, he hints at a little more. The player behind the screen. Now, if we consider that the individuated unit of consciousness breaks off into a free will awareness unit, which is the avatar, the remaining individuated unit of consciousness is something separate from it the is. avatar. It so is. he is hinting at, I think, that this remaining consciousness is doing other things or is simply able to access yeah. other games or or what else aside from the elf. Yeah. He's not tied to the elf. I think All he right. might be hinting at that somehow. Okay, well, well, that was the part I wasn't sure of that I was okay. yeah, I wasn't sure that I addressed. Anyway, that's I tend I tend to simplify my discussions and just talk about an individuated unit of consciousness doing everything. And I guess that's me not being more specific. Actually, there are two things there. There's the individuated unit of consciousness and it uh partitions off a piece of itself which I call the free will awareness unit and it's that free will awareness unit that is the player. So when we talk about the player, we're really talking about the free will awareness unit, not the individuated unit of consciousness. Okay. So all the things I say when I talk about the player, I'm really talking about a free will awareness unit. Sometime I don't point that out because it just confuses people. If I tell them, yes, you're an individuated unit of consciousness and you, you play an avatar, that just simplifies it some. But if you get confused there, Yes, there is a there is just a piece of that IUOC that is called the player that logs on to the avatar. And it is that piece that has to deal with an avatar with a foggy brain because it's got unstable glucose levels. The IUOC, this time now, I mean, not the part that is the free will awareness unit, just the rest of the IUOC isn't affected by it at all. It's only the free will awareness unit that is affected because it's the only thing that's logged on and has to play a character according to what the rule set allows that character to do. Right. Thank you, Tom. Okay. Um, the next question does revolve around a personal experience. And I'm going to read it because it's kind of interesting. And the way personal experiences help other people is, They may have similar ones that they relate to. So from the MBT forum, Toby posts, I hope you're well. It's been a few years since the last time we spoke. I've been trying to work through my own issues with my own power. That is 
drug-free, as you suggest. I'm at a sticking point now, though. You once told me the system was trying to take my training slow, so I would not be the boy that turned into Darth Vader or Renegade. Well, long story short, I showed up in a reality as an observer. I was observing children being taken away. I started to get an unsettling feeling near the emptying of these small children in this large, confined outdoor area. I noticed the last child being very afraid. He was scared silly, and I was zeroing in on him as to why. One of the leaders of this country I was in came down and ordered the child to come with him. The child did not want to go, but I butted my big nose into the situation to protect to protect the child. Once I did and pressed my free will onto this other guy's free will, I was threatened by the leader slash co-leader of the place I was in. I could have hit him at the moment and ended this existence at any moment, but I did not. That's not what I wanted. I just wanted to protect the child who was scared to death of this guy. Well, the guy threatened me and raised a sword to hit me with. Please just stop, was my thought, as I grabbed his thought and weapon arm. But as soon as I did, I was gifted to live the last hour or so of each of those 50-plus children as them, who each received the same treatment of torture, molestation, rape, and death. At or near the same time, I watched and experienced the life of the 30 or so leaders of this place I was in who were doing these things and then consuming the children. Once the reliving was over and I came to, the guy was still in my grasp, but my mind was shattered and it felt like my soul had cracked open. I exploded with the power of a sun and I manifested into something that I believe should never be allowed in any reality, a pure and total killing machine, but in some type of giant animal form who only lived for the kill and hell-bent on vengeance and death of those involved. I did eventually regain control over the beast, and the experience ended. I awoke as a rabid human. It came back with me, and now it's been part of me for the last four or five years now. I don't know what it was. But last year, I finally got to the point that I told it, if you are of me, then welcome home, and we'll learn to live together. But if you're not of me, I will shred you when I leave the physical. Things started to get a little better after that point. I guess he faced the fear, perhaps this experience. I just wanted to know if this is a fear, by being wanted to protect the child. But from what I gather from you and the fireside chats, is it just my ego fear who wanted to protect the child. It was just my ego fear that reacted in that way, and it was just my ego fear that manifested the beast I live with now. Should I have remained an observer? And when I didn't, I failed my test? Question mark. Okay. First of all, you have to realize that what you experienced was metaphorical. Okay, it wasn't an actuality. It wasn't a happening. It was metaphorical. The children were the innocent. The, you know, the leaders were the bad guys that were, you know, abusing the innocent. And you got to see just how awful the abuse was. 
And that was probably there to see if, how angry you would get. Anger, of course, is a result of fear. Anger is a result of ego. Um, this was a metaphorical experience for you to make choices in. The whole point of this was to give you opportunities to make choices. And you did make your choices. And it gave you a chance to um, understand the choices that you made. And now the value of that is to go back and revisit those choices. What are all the individual choices you made all along? And why did you make them? And what else could you have done at that point? What other choices might you have made? And if you'd made those other choices, how would it have worked out? You see, these are the things that you should be exploring. Now, it was your, you know, it was, it was a metaphor, set of metaphors given to you. So it's obviously very specific to you and, and, uh, and your choice making. So I would not want to tell you, you know, what answers were because those are yours. They have to do with you. It's not that they're necessarily right or wrong answers as there are better and poorer answers. Other things you may have done at different places. Well, those are what you should explore. So I would say go back to that scenario and make different choices and see where that takes you. That would be the learning. That's that's the way to learn about it. So go back to the situation, make a different choice. See how that choice might have played out, how that might have gone, and try out a set of different approaches and see what works best. And from that exercise, you will probably learn something. So it's not just a matter of saying, oh, I made that choice and it was based in fear, therefore it was terrible, it was wrong. That's too simplistic a way of looking at it. Look at it from a more, you know, a bigger viewpoint. And revisit it, do it differently, and see what happens. That then will be educational. So that would be my advice of where to go with that. I wouldn't just simply say, well, I made these choices based on ego and fear and belief. Well, of course you probably did because all of us are mostly full of, you know, fear, ego, and belief. And almost all the choices we make in any situation are based on fear, ego, and belief. So that's kind of a simplistic place to go. And that just gives you kind of pat answers that aren't all that useful. A better way to do it is to look at it and go through it. What else could I have done there? What if I had done this? Where would that go? Would it necessarily go that way? Follow the logic and see where that might have gone. You get to a point where you're not quite sure what that result would be, then meditate on that for a while. Maybe take a week or a couple of weeks or a month just to explore that point. Where else could that have gone? So you weren't given this experience, these metaphors, just for fun. This was something that was picked out for you to give you opportunities to learn. And I wouldn't just discard it as one as a one-off thing that happened and not really dig all the lessons out of it. So when you get something like this, work with it. Work with it. Go back through it. Change your choices. See where that goes. And if you're not sure that what where that went, is not just more of your ego and more of your belief, well, then run over it again. See if you can't see it some other way. You see, until you've kind of exhausted all the possibilities 
and you feel good that you've done that. You haven't just played out your beliefs so that everything always works out to suit your beliefs or to suit your ego. You've actually looked at all the possibilities and see what you can learn from the choices that you made. That's the way I would have, would approach it. Not just a, yeah, it was my ego. Yeah, it was my fear. Well, it probably was because that's the way we are. That's generally the way we are. Most of, most of the choices that the average person makes in a day is because of their fear, their ego, and their beliefs. So that isn't always helpful. But see what you can learn from it. And again, take months working it. You may go down this path a hundred times before you sort out all the possibilities and see what all the lessons might be. Take the time. It'll probably be worth it. Thank you, Tom. As you've said, the dream reality is a, a very real thing and a place for learning. And this was certainly an elaborate setup that was mm-hmm. there for some reason that only he can sort out and uh, right. determine what that, that means. All right. Um, next question from the MBT forum is from Vladimir on random number generators. My name is Vladimir. Is it possible to use a random number generator to get a response from the NPMR database, that is non-physical matter reality? I heard about the Global Consciousness Project in Pair Labs, about Dean Radin's experiments, but I would like to do a similar physical experiment at home to make sure that NPMR exists and to be able to practically apply this knowledge. For example, I want to know in which line of the code is the bug or why the code doesn't work as expected. I'm not real sure about that last question, but you know, I'm not sure what he means by the bug in the code, but in any case, in general, yes, the system can provide a information, can provide an answer, you know, through a random generator if it wants to. After all, that that generator is a virtual random number generator. Now it could be one that's computed, but that doesn't matter. It's not that because it's computed that the system can use it. Even a decay from a radioactive source, which is what's ba- what's called an event-based random number generator. In other words, it comes from a from a uh, the randomness is natural. It's not something. Uh, it's not a mathematical equation. It's from the natural world. Often that's a, that's a radioactive source and depending on the direction of decay, it comes out with a, with a random number. So those are called event based random number generators. But that, that if it's made that way and it is based on a, a radioactive, uh, source, then that is a virtual radioactive source. It's a physical thing. All things physical aren't really physical. They're, they're all computed. So the system can make it come out however it wants. It will naturally just let it come out randomly. But if it has a point in making it come out some other way, then it can if it wants to. So if you're just some scientist looking at radioactive sources decaying, it'll come out randomly. But if you set up this idea that a certain outcome has a particular meaning, and, and this is a big and, and if the larger cancer system wants to work with you this way, then yes, a random number generator can be used as an information source. Uh, if it's just a one or a zero, then all it's going to do is turn into a yes or no. 
And to use a yes or no kind of uh, thing, you might as well flip a coin or, you know, do something else like that. The system could also manipulate that. As long as there's uncertainty to the result, it can make the result be what it likes. So these things can be used that way, but only with the cooperation of the system. And just because you want to do it and you'd like the system to cooperate with you doesn't mean that it finds that project worthy and that it's going to cooperate with you. So you won't know unless you work at it, unless your objective is one that's worthy. It's something that's helping you uh, move toward lower entropy, move toward becoming love. Then it might, might is the key word here. Uh, work with you in that way. But if you, let's say, come up with a, with a yes, no that you've created from a random number generator and now that's becomes your oracle. You ask a question where yes or no is the answer, like, like lawyers do when they're interrogating witnesses. They always ask questions that have a yes or no answer because they don't want to give the guy on a witness stand a chance to just say what he wants to say. So they force him to just say yes or no. Well, if you do that and you use a coin, Flip a coin, you know, tails means yes, heads means no, or whatever. The system can manipulate that if it wants to. But if you use it in order to make choices, make your own free will choices, if you say, oh, is this a good day to buy this stock? Oh, I'll flip a coin. Yes or no? Ah, the system now is helping me choose stocks. Great. No, it's not going to do that. You say, it's not going to help you pick stocks, and it's not going to... Uh, let its choices become your free will choices. In other words, you're not, it's not going to let you just, you know, do whatever I tell you. It's going to give you wrong answers or other things just to dissuade you from using the tool that way. You have to make your own choices in your own way from your own data. That's part of the process of learning. If you let it make choices for you, that isn't going to be to your learning. So it won't cooperate with that. So the answer is yes, that could work that way, but it doesn't have to work that way. That depends on you, your relationship with the system, the intentions you have, the purpose you have, and the skill you have um, in making a good connection with the larger consciousness system. So all those things will be involved. Um, so maybe, I guess, is my answer. Depends mostly on you. Okay, I think his last statement, his last sentence, uh, hinted at the fact that he wants to test out uh, how to debug code and um, perhaps referring to the story that you often give about uh, meditating and intending to find the problem within the code. Um, so your advice is right, is right on, depending on what his intent is and what the purpose is and how, um, you know, that's supposed to work. He can he can apply it that way, yeah. I guess. Sure. There's lots of things that work that way. Uh, the the uh, I Ching, okay, has you drop... What, each hexagram is six things, and you, uh, I guess you get a hexagram at a time, so you have to drop 
flip a coin six times or you have to drop sticks. The traditional way is you hold a bunch of sticks and you drop them and depends on, on what stick does something, then that, that tells you what the hex is going to be. Uh, and you make kind of dashes or long lines or short lines in a certain order, and that makes up a hexagram. And that hexagram then that gets made up when you consult the I Ching as the oracle will tell you something significant about the question you asked. If you have a question in your mind at the time, then the I Ching will give you some advice. Well, that's just a system of randomness, the way the straws fall, the way the coin flips. And if you happen to use that and you get really fantastic advice, well, that's because the system is using that randomness in order to give you a message to give you some answers. If, on the other hand, you're using it because you want help in manipulating your girlfriend, well, then you're going to get bad advice probably or you're going to get something that means nonsense or something else because the system isn't going to play with you that way. So remember, this is you can set up and make systems that will, through random process, give you information. But you cannot make a machine that will always work or always do what you want. It's not a machine. The system is going to judge whether it wants to play this game with you or not. And if it does play the game with you, that doesn't mean the next time it will. So you always are going to have uncertainty. You're always going to have to remain skeptical that anything you get may or may not be useful or may or may not be the truth because flip to flip the system may be working with you to give you something that you need or it may decide that it doesn't want to work with your ego you know that it doesn't really want to play and it may play for a while and quit it may not play for a while and suddenly start so that's why you have to stay skeptical you cannot harness the larger kind of system is a machine that will always do, you know, what you want it to do. It's conscious. It's not just a machine. It itself is conscious. And it is going to do what it thinks is in the long-term interest of lower entropy for the system. Not necessarily for you, but for the system. Of course, your growth is good for the system. So if you're working on your own growth, then it will tend to support if it's for the system, it'll tend to support, but anything else, not so much. And if you start out with a good attitude, but then your ego starts growing because of it, then it'll stop. So you can't make a machine out of the system. It's conscious. It'll come to its own choices about how it wants to play with you, if it wants to play at all. All right. Thank, thank you, Tom. Uh, we're going to wrap up this 56 fireside chat and we only have a few questions left over so that's good uh we'll get to those next time if you've been waiting for your question to be asked thank you to all of you here now and those of you who had to leave early and uh, we welcome you all back next month <laughs>